everybody. Welcome to the September 14th, 2018 edition of Colorado Inside Out. I'm your host, Dominic Dizzuti. Thank you very much for joining us. Let's get a quick take on new journalistic outlet, The Colorado Sun, officially launching this week with a team made up of former Denver Post reporters and editors. The outlet plans to focus on in-depth watchdog-style investigative journalism that, according to co-founding editor Larry Rickman, is, quote, just very difficult for others to produce anymore with cutbacks. Patty Calhoun from Westward, uh, <coughs> Westward has done investigative, award-winning investigative work for since you arrived in 77. Uh, it's technically competition, but are you happy to see another news outlet open up in Colorado? Oh, of course, because there are so many bad people doing bad things in Denver. You could have a hundred times as many investigative reporters and you still wouldn't be able to cover them all. It's been a tougher city since we've lost two really robust dailies. This grew out of the cutbacks at the Denver Post. And good luck to them. I mean, it's a very, very tough economic model to think you're going to be able to raise money just for the readership to ultimately cover the cost. But uh, competition for readers, no one worries about that. No one worries about competition for stories. The more media outlets, the better. David Copel from the Independence Institute and DU Law School. Uh, David, it is a unique model. I mean, let's say unique. It's a different model than we've seen financially. That we're not, There's not an immediate paywall, things like that. Do you think it can work? Um, I, I hope it does. Uh, speaking of bad people doing bad things, let's remember Alden in New York City, whose model was well, we can drive this paper into the ground. Uh, we're going to jack up, raise the prices through the roof, and we will slash quality and slash quantity, but there's still a certain number of people who, you know, like in my demographic, are, have been addicted to daily newspapers since they were children, and so we can uh, pick them dry, and then when the, the whole thing dies in 10 years, we'll have made a lot of money off of it. And the Colorado Sun is one of the alternatives to that, to saying, no, we're actually not captives of your, your mismanaged uh, Denver Post. Eric Sonneman, political analyst, i got to believe that uh, the politicians in town, whether it be at City Hall or the legislature or anywhere else, uh, might not be as thrilled as we are to see another investigative journalism team show up. Oh, probably so, but I think polit the politicians you want to associate with, the ones of character and brains, understand that uh, a healthy journalistic environment is good for a, a civic community. I, I wish the Sun well. I think they're off to a good start. They have a very talented team. It's a good, nice-looking, clean website. They've broken a couple stories. On day one last Monday, they broke the story of how the para-auditors uh, were only off by slightly over a billion dollars, with a billion with a B. Uh, today they have the story of a settlement of the, the big lawsuit out in Fort Morgan, the Cargill meatpacking plant, uh, where 130-some Muslim workers were denied prayer breaks, and uh, they finally reached a settlement of about $12,000 per worker. So th they're already breaking stories, and um, I think there's more good stuff to come. Brother Jeff rounds out the panel, editor at Five Points News, another editor of Independent News Outlet. How do you feel about the Colorado Sun being on the scene? I would just say welcome. The more the merrier. I mean, I don't think you can get enough of, of good quality journalism and those who are in a position to raise the bar and separate um, some of the, you know, kind of tweet news stories to uh, in-depth stories. So um, welcome, and I'm looking forward to um, consuming their, their, their product. 
2016 presidential candidate Hillary Clinton will be joining Jared Polis at a fundraiser for Colorado Democrats later this month. The fundraiser will take place at the home of former Interior Secretary Ken Salazar, with other Democratic nominees expected to attend. Uh, Patty, clearly Hillary Clinton is a, uh, a national draw for the Democratic base, but it seems to me that it would also offer fodder for GOP opponents in Colorado. Is this going to be a overall win for Democrats in Colorado? Well, for poor Jared Polis, who just has not been able to raise a penny for his campaign, <laughs> this could be what saves him. So thank God she took uh, mercy on him and is coming. It's, you know, he, uh, Salazar, it's interesting how he's kind of become the host for the Democratic candidates here. He did the first really big Michael Hancock kicking off his third um, term campaign a couple months ago. We actually had a reporter go to that. I don't think we'll be able to afford the $1,000 that's going to be this one with Hillary Clinton. But it really felt a lot like old news, which is interesting, that whether it's to just energize the Democratic Party in general, because clearly Jared Polis does not need the money, whether it's just to kind of hold a pep rally, it felt like old news. But we've had plenty of other people. Let's, let's remember Tom Tancredo, uh, who helped host a potluck for Walker, Walker Stapleton last week. You know, that made news. So if the hosts for the fundraisers are making news, we're probably looking at some of the wrong stuff. We should be looking at exactly who else is contributing. Uh, David, well, I alluded to with the question of Patty that there could be some downside for the Democrats to seeing Hillary Clinton show up, but good for the base, but maybe uh, also good for Republicans. Is there anybody on the national level on the Republican side that would benefit Walker Stapleton walking around, at, at least at a private fundraiser? Oh, Mike Pence, uh, obviously, among others. Nikki Haley would, would be a huge draw. But for, for this fundraiser, I, th there is no better way to show that you stand for honesty and clean government than to do a fundraiser with Hillary Clinton. And this fundraiser is called Project Fearless, uh, which is named after that brave little statue in New York City that stands up against the statue of the bull on, on Wall Street. And you absolutely stand for those values when you have a fundraiser with Mrs. Clinton for which the minimum entry fee is $1,000 and you can contribute up to 33900 tr truly fearless. <laughs> Erica, an overall, is it a net win for Dems in Colorado? Oh, maybe so. It's a celebrity coming to town. It's an opportunity to, for the big money folks to party and feel good and write another check. Uh, I think there are a whole lot of Democrats in a whole lot of states around the country whose only wish for Hillary Clinton is to please just go away and be done. Let's not forget in Colorado she's still carried to state by a reasonably healthy five points um, in an election that all of us will flash back on where neither candidate had much appeal or attractiveness to say the least. One of the subtexts of this thing for me is the Ken Salazar role. Ken, Patty referred to him as sort of becoming the Democratic grand dame or host or what have you. In addition to that, he's become the Democratic kingmaker in Colorado. But he missed it on one. He did not support Walker Staple, I mean, excuse me, Jared Polis in that primary. He supported Kerry Kennedy. So this is Salazar's way of rectifying that uh, and, and, and doing what he needs to do as a power broker uh, to get in Jared Polis's uh, good graces. I don't think it's ultimately going to swing this election much, but it is a, it's a nice evening for some Democratic donors. 
Well, Jeff, how do, how do you look at at least the Democratic base in Denver? I mean, it's uh, for the primary, Bernie won Colorado. Uh, we have some old school Democrats because Democrats have always held pretty uh, a lot of sway in Denver. But it's a new city. There's new folks. We were talking about that before the mm -hmm. taping. How do you look at how Denver is going to respond to uh, an old school but a nationally known name like Hillary Clinton? Well, I, I, I was thinking about this, and I'm wondering why the establishment Democrats, some of them just will not go off into the political sunset. They're going to hold on to whatever their power base is until it just whittles away, and they don't see how out of step they are with ordinary individuals. When I first looked at the uh, discussion that Polis was in a, involved with a fundraiser, I said, that's pretty strange. I think he's probably going there to show them how to make money, but not going to um, raise money from them. But then I looked a little closer, and it looks more like he's one of the guests in one of the $33,900 level guests that will be participating. Um, and he, he, he could do something very powerful for the old guard. He could be the one that tells Hillary that we really don't like her that much. And you know, no one wants to break it to her from the old guard, and someone has to do it because I, I'm, I'm really tired and I can't take it anymore. <laughs> we'll see what kind of bold words we get out of Jared Polis at the, at the fundraiser. I'm not sure he's going to be hiring you as, a, as a, a speechwriter anytime soon, but I think bold words. So good advice. The Rocky Flats Wildlife Refuge will open for recreational use to the public on September 15th. Representative Jared Polis has asked Secretary of the Interior Ryan Zinke to delay the opening until more testing can be done. David, uh, uh, you're our esteemed lawyer at the table. Is there any chance this gets delayed before September 15th? No, scientific nonsense. Um, the Colorado Department of Public Health and the Environment has been working on Rocky Flats since the late 1980s and in conjunction with, with EPA. They have excellent scientists there who are civil servants. You know, they don't come and go with politics, uh, but obviously this is this final step has been uh, done under the Hickenlooper administration. They say it's perfectly safe. Now, there's a contaminated zone within Rocky Flats that's a Superfund site, and that's off limits. But the enormous buffer zone that Rocky Flats had around, had around it, uh, the Department of Public Health and the Environment says it's safe. And if they say that, I believe them. And Jared Polis, if he becomes governor, is going to be the big boss of the Department of Public Health and the Environment. And he's just essentially said, hey, all you hardworking civil servant scientists there, when it comes to a clash between your expert scientific knowledge on projects you've been working on, in some cases for decades, versus the anti-science, hysterical, extreme left of the party, I tell you which one I'm going to side with, I'll throw you under the bus in a second, and I'll go for the anti-science the anti uh, fear-mongering. And I think it's sad because I think Jared is a smart guy, well-informed, he knows better, and this is typical of what's been going on with him all year, is a sensible guy, uh, has gone way left uh, in pandering that he knows better then. Eric, as David uh, makes a good point, about he's, uh, Jared Polis may have lost the government scientist vote uh, with this point, but can he turn this into something uh, more exciting, whether for his base or even for other voters in Colorado that look at Rocky Flats in a different way? I'm not sure I buy the premise of the question, Dominic. I mean, if I'm Jared Polis, I got the base. The base is motivated. They're motivated by Donald Trump. They're motivated by Jared Polis. They, they're plenty motivated. They can't wait to go vote. Uh, he needs to move it a little. He needs to attract a few more centrists. 
he, for reasons we've discussed on other shows, I mean, he enters this race with a somewhat of a working advantage, as I say, a light blue state, a deep blue year. So it's Polis's to lose, but he doesn't need to re further reinforce that base. I think there are a couple of, you know, side stories here. One is the tension, which is a long-running tension between Jared Polis and John Hickenlooper. As David accurately pointed out, this is an attack on John Hickenlooper's Department of uh, Public Health uh, and the Environment. I worry that it is a preview of a Polis administration. Some things can be studied forever because you can never get, there is no such thing in life as 100% certainty. You can get 99.999, but you don't get 100% certainty. Jared Polis could be governor for eight years and perhaps still want to study this some more. We're not having houses. We're not putting people out on Rocky Flats to live or to work. This is a recreation zone. The stat I read is that you could picnic there a hundred times over the course of the year and your radiation exposure would be equivalent to eating 20 bananas over the course of that same year. At some point you can study these things to death. Good people have studied it and come to a conclusion. Uh, we're not residing or working out there. We're recreating a little bit out there and let's move on with it. Brother Jeff, besides, despite being open, as Eric points out, it's not like people are being forced to go out there, not putting people out there to live officially. Will the, the use of it just be low because of the history of the place? Well, I think it will be. Um, and people get an opportunity to decide if they're given accurate information about what has taken place in that environment. Um, it's said that some, some administrators in, um, in education are not going to take their students. Um, but then on the flip side, there are residents that can't wait to utilize the trails, et cetera. I, I want to go back to Polis, and I think that he's right in terms of saying, what's the rush? Um, let's, let's look at some of the recent situations in terms of his quote around unanticipated and significant climate events. You know, he's talking about the flooding and what that, that, that topsoil and all of that has done. That's relatively new. And for him to say, let's step back and take a look at the effects uh, moving forward with new information, I think he's, he's, he's got a, a strong point. Patty, you and your team at Westward have, I will go ahead and say, that probably the most in-depth coverage about Rocky Flats since the, the, uh, Westward's inception. What do you think about this latest chapter? Yes, like plutonium, Rocky Flat stories do not go away ever. <laughs> so it was, and but with all the new people moving to Denver, what is critical is that we remember what happened there and we have a thorough accounting of what happens there so people can make the decision. I think probably you would stop people on the street. They would have no idea what Rocky Flats was. It was 30 years ago next June that the FBI raided Rocky Flats, that the grand jury was impaneled, that they wanted to indict eight individuals for environmental crimes, and instead there was was this um, deal cut by the Department of Justice with Rockwell International, which ran it. Then there's the Superfund cleanup. Uh, people just don't know that plant made all the plutonium triggers for this country's nuclear weapons arsenal. There's plutonium that was lost. They did do a cleanup that um, most people have been impressed by. Some of the stuff they could never clean up, and it's just buried in the center that... that uh, David referred to that is a super fun site forever. It is a beautiful place. I've toured it. I don't think I'm glowing now. I've been there a couple times. It's a beautiful outdoor area, but you hope people are given enough information to make their own decisions. And what concerns me is 11 years ago, Fish and Wildlife, when all when 5,000 plus acres was transferred over for the refuge, they agreed to signage. That's not the signage that's going up. The signage that's going up 
isn't a whole lot different from chirpy, happy, uh, let's buy a VIP luxury loft in the heart of Five Points because it's so true to the history of this place. What does have one show of just Patty Zingers? They're our, our best rated show ever. Residents of Durango and Silverton are suing the Durango and Silverton Narrow Gauge Railroad Company for damages from the 416 fire that began on June 1st. The fire started near the tracks of the company's trains, burning more than 50,000 acres, becoming the sixth largest wildfire in Colorado history. Uh, Eric, I'm no lawyer. I know you're not one. Neither of us played one on TV, but I don't know about this case. So you're, you're, you're suing one of the biggest companies in your own cities, and I get why, but I, I don't know. I'm, I'm torn on this one. Your thoughts? I'm, I'm torn, too, or I'm not all that torn. I think I'm dubious of the... The lawsuit, I'm somewhat dubious of the motivations behind it. There's no arguing this was a tragedy, this was a catastrophe. But does every catastrophe need personal injury attorneys swooping in to try to turn it into a, 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 a major damage suit? Uh, they're going to have to prove, and you know, David's the last one on this topic, but is the only attorney around here. Uh, but you know, I believe they're going to have to prove negligence here. It's not just causation. And I'm not even sure the causation is clear. But even if you get to causation, you have to prove negligence. And I think and I certainly hope that that's going to be a hard bar to, to, to prove and to cross. Brother Jeff, this is uh, something that if it goes far, if it's successful from these residents, this might impact other groups of people suing other areas, that, whether it's burn scar flooding or other fires. Do you think this might have some impact around the state? Well, I, I'm pretty sure, but if you go back to the, the suit itself, they, they are citing negligence and carelessness. And so when you think about that, they're saying that they've, they've, they're running trains that had, um, some, they, they had some safety nets in place that may not have been in place when this fire started, i.e. the helicopter, et cetera. And so if you think about that and the fact that the Forest Service has not yet come to a conclusion and stated how and why that fire was started, if it goes back to the train company started that fire, I think they should be held re accountable. And, of course, uh, people who have ex uh, realized loss should be made whole. So it's going to be something big to look at, and just because you're a big business and you're an economic driver, that doesn't mean that you should be uh, um, uh, shielded away from responsibility, And if, if, in fact, that can be proven, and they say they have proof. Patty, what do you think? I mean, this is a, a huge driver for both these very small towns, but there's a good point to be made if they're responsible for the damages. Well, you cannot blame Durango and Silverton for being a little cranky about catastrophes since they barely have recovered from Summitville and the flooding, which was not their fault either. Uh, the train is really a wonderful Colorado amenity if you've ever been on it. It's, it's terrific. It is, they, they like using the old engines because that's what fans like, but there's also some suggestion that those engines caused the problem. I know a fan of the train has already said he would step up and buy a new kind of engine that would work. So a lawsuit like this might settle some answers. You can't afford to burn up Colorado wilderness just because of people are fans of old tra train engines. And, you know, this week we are also reopening the basalt shooting range, which was the, the cause or the site where another fire was started this summer. The only good thing we can say about all this is, thank God the fire season seems to finally be winding down and the Colorado didn't suffer as much as, say, California. You're here. Uh, David, you are, again, our lawyer at the table. Uh, your opinion on this lawsuit? 
Well, it's the Berg Simpson law firm, which for a change, they got themselves in the media without having to pay for it. So <laughs> you've got to be impressed with that. Uh, but we don't, we don't know the facts, really. They, they say they have a witness who says they saw a spark from the, the train's engine start the fire. Now, as uh, Brother Jeff said, the, the Forest Service and the, the cities haven't made any determination about who started it. But if they can prove that in court and they can also prove their allegations uh, that the train didn't have the correct safety equipment for fire suppression, you know, one of the allegations they had a new crew which was less experienced and those kind of things than others, you know, that, that's what trials are for is to bring out the facts before a, a neutral person to decide. So. Um, I wouldn't say the suit is wrong at this point. A committee of RTD has sent a fare increase proposal to the board for a final vote on September 18th. While the proposal will mean a $1.50 hike for the A-line to the airport and increases on other routes, discounts have been created for those earning less than $25,100 a year and for children ages 6 to 19. Brother Jeff, um, some big hikes across the city for RTD, which has had its own problems, whether it's the A-Line or other areas, but the uh, discounts for other areas have been cheered. Uh, what do you think? Well, I think, of course, discounts sound great, but when you think about a tour going around asking um, users, would you like a price increase, that's the height of privilege for someone to say, oh, I think I'd, yeah, please, let me play some more. <laughs> I mean, I don't think that's the population that I'm around at any point in time. So I'm, I'm concerned that, you know, in our community, you've got RTD where they've closed stops where people have really depended on, particularly their elderly or disabled, et cetera, where they've got to find other places where they can um, utilize RTD. You know, I'm thinking about, you know, some of the gentrification and how some of the buildings that are going up was property that was held by RTD. So um, I'd be interested to hear what other residents would have to say, but it surprises me that some would say, yeah, come to my town, let's talk, and please charge me more. Patty, you'd think that you don't need as much for the A-line since the flaggers are gone. Oh, wait, they're still there. Maybe there is a reason for the $1.50. Well, and they are talking about, yeah, raising that come January. That actually makes sense. If you can afford to fly, you can probably afford, afford to pay a little more for the A-line. But on some of these other routes that are, Brother Jeff's right, they're so critical for certain parts of town, and those are the ones that are getting cut back. David, has there been enough, uh, I guess, uh, not say allocations, discounts being created uh, on these other areas to justify the rate increase? Well, the rate increase has to happen. I mean, this is the, the story in, in mass transit basically all over the country when you have the government running transit systems that operate on fixed routes, unlike, say, private vans, which can be flexible for, for people's diverse needs. When you make it this one-size-fits-all thing, those systems never, ever are self-sustaining the fares they raise don't come close to paying the operating costs, let, let alone the construction costs. Uh, so RTD's got to do something uh, to try to bring its, its income uh, in line with it, its uh, expenses. Eric, uh, we've been making hay of the big increase to the airport, but it also means uh, light rail. If you want to take it from downtown to the hinterlands where I live down south, it's going to be over $5 a trip, $10 round trip. I'm not sure that's going to save a lot of money for folks who don't want to be in traffic. But is this just something that RTD has to do? Oh, David's probably right. They have to do it for the reasons expressed and, and, and because of the model they have. But nonetheless, I'm going to identify with Brother Jeff and, and others here. We're in the middle of the Jewish high holidays, so let me use a Yiddish phrase. It's chutzpah. Uh, when you have 
all of the issues that RTD has in the moment, whether it's the flaggers on the A line, whether it's the delays on the G line, whether it's the service cutbacks that Brother Jeff and others around the table have talked about, to at the same time be reducing the product, reducing the service, and saying you have to pay more for it, I call it chutzpah. Time for a very favorite part of the show, Disgrace of the Week. As always, Ms. Cajon, please start us off. I'm going to have to go with Mother Nature as we wait to see what is happening on the East Coast. Even as we sit here, we know the, the beaches are filling up, the towns are filling up. Good luck to all of them. I would add to that the, all the reporters telling you that it's raining because there's no other way you can possibly show that it's raining and windy in a place. And it's really wet. Some, yeah, exactly. It's really wet. David. Uh, Cory Booker, I am Spartacus, or in, <laughs> in the original, Ego Sum Spartacus, he would have been more accurate to say Ego Sum Inutilia Senatoris. <laughs> I am a useless senator. <laughs> so thank you for the translation. Eric, any Latin to share? I did Yiddish. I'll do, I'll do Yiddish. David, uh, did, David, David like can do that. the Latin. How about the CBS crew? I grew up on CBS, Walter Cronkite and all. There's a far distance between Walter Cronkite and the CBS of some of our youth uh, versus the current CBS of Les Moonves and uh, Jeff Thayer, Charlie Rose at all. Goodbye to all of them. Hello, Jeff. I'm going to use Ebonics, Ebony Phonics. Um, I'm going to go to Dallas and talk about an officer who goes home. She goes to her home, and it's the, the wrong floor of her, of her apartment. It's the wrong apartment. She opens up the door and kills a black man says that he disobeyed a lawful order inside of her house, but she wasn't in her house. She was in his house. Tragic. Tragic indeed. Time to say something nice, Patty. Well, Colorado's roads will be clogged with people heading to the hills to see the leaps, the aspen turning this weekend. But don't forget to pay attention to the plains where Pedal the Plains is going on. That's a part of the state that gets not enough attention. David. Liberty Common High School, which is a public charter high school in Fort Collins, just set the all-time state record for highest SATs. Eric. I like both of those. I'm going to do a little I told you so. Uh, on opening day of the Rockies season, <laughs> I mentioned something nice about the Rockies in the season ahead of them. Here we are in the middle of September. There's 16 games left. I took a lot of grief, particularly from uh, my friend Miss Calhoun across the table of, you know, Hope Springs Eternal and stuff. There's nothing guaranteed with 16 games left, but they are in the middle of this hunt. They're a game and a half ahead of the Dodgers. They're playing interesting, fun, meaningful baseball in September. So go Rockies. This kiss of death brought to you by Eric Sondran and Carter Inside Out. <laughs> Brother Jeff. I'm not a police basher, but I am going to say my hero is Susan Green on this one. Um, yes. She gets stopped, or well, she stops to um, see what's going on with a man being detained and, you know, takes a picture the police stop her and say that she cannot take pictures because of HIPAA requirements and good for Susan she understands her constitutional rights she's a journalist she was detained and um, she's letting it be known that she's not going to act like a lady in this situation and she's standing up to make sure that um, her, vi her rights are not violated and no one else's. And I want to say something nice about uh, my friend Tom White and all the folks at Coble and Sons. I needed to finish Colorado Inside Out script yesterday on the road, and they had room at the inn in a, a nice place that I could uh, finish everything and actually get this information to this wonderful crew uh, in a timely manner. So thank you. A quick reminder, we continue the election season every Friday night at 7 p.m. with Colorado Decides and Both Sides of the Story. Next week, we tackle the setbacks issue at 7 p.m., and the high school students tackle oil and gas regulations. Are they sufficient in Colorado at 7.30? It'll be 
enlightening hour, I promise you. It's next Friday at 7 p.m. at 7.30. For everyone here at Colorado Public Television, I'm Dominic Dizzuti. Thank you very much for watching. Good night.